Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. You are indeed listening to 670 The Score. It's Inside the Clubhouse. He's Bruce Levine. I'm Matt Spiegel. Lots of conversation on the Cubs and Sox in hour number one. More here in hour number two, including a uh, kind of an assessment of where the pitching stands for both sides in the midst of a big weekend. Two first-place teams. It's an awful lot of fun to talk baseball right now in this town. Our next guest joins us on the Alpamani Ford hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. The one and only Wimpy Patchy. He is Tom Pachorek, a good friend of ours, a great broadcaster and a great icon in Chicago. Joins us, Matt, uh, here on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Tommy boy. How are you? Okay, we're uh, still efforting to get uh, Tom. We lost him here on the line, so... Uh, we'll, uh, we'll do, you do the intro this time, Matt. <laughs> no, I liked it. Let's just re-rack when, that when one. He's, when he's ready. <laughs> and we'll play it uh, for we'll, him. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll have Tom, you know, it, but, been... uh, I, I don't, we don't have him yet, but from, okay. from, uh, it, yeah, it's just been, uh, you know, having Tom on, obviously, uh, we lost a king this week, uh, Matt in, uh, baseball, Tom Seaver passed away at the age of 75, uh, from uh, complications of Alzheimer's and uh, just uh, one of the uh, very most, uh, not only great pitchers, but one of the more interesting guys in the game. And we do have Tom Pachorek with us, joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. Tommy, how are you? I'm great, Bruce. Uh, Matt, nice to talk to you guys. You too, Tom. Uh, We are in the midst of talking about your former teammate and friend, uh, Mr. Tom Seaver, passed away at 75 this week from uh, complications of Alzheimer's. Uh, Just uh, the the essence of uh, getting to know him as a teammate back in 1984 when he first arrived with the White Sox and uh, just, you know, a sense of the aura of Tom Seaver. Well, you know, Tom, everybody called him Tom Terrific, but in our clubhouse, Bruce, he was known as CV. And he, uh, it was amazing. When he was out on the mound, he commanded it. He owned the mound. And then off the field, I'm telling you, he's one of the great guys I've ever been uh, you know, privileged to play with. You know, he was a Hall of Famer and, and one of the probably five or six greatest pitchers of all time. But he, uh, I'd like to share with you some human stories with him. You know that are just uh, that may have gotten uh, lost in the translation because everybody thought he was so stoic 
and but really left uh, left out the the part where he was just a great human being. You know, I remember the, one of the first games he ever pitched for the Sox in 1984 it was against Kansas City, and a 19-year-old right-hander named Brett Saberhagen. Well, CB pitched a complete game, beat him one nothing. <laughs> and after the game, they found out that Saber was two years older than Saberhagen's dad. <laughs> and, you know, and we made a lot of fun. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, and he was just, a, he was still a great pitcher, more of a finesse guy. I remember one time he was warming up in the bullpen with Mark Hill, and then Booter said that Mark Hill had a great sense of humor. He said, CB, you got nothing. He says, oh, yeah? Well, just put the glove down and don't give me any signs. And he did. He hit every target that he threw, and he pitched another great game. You know, he, he, he was just a, a, a marvelous guy, a great pitcher. You know, and one of the things that I, that, uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of, the, remember the longest game ever in May of 1984? Sure. Mm-hmm. pitched the top of the 25th inning. Baines hit the home run uh, to win the game. And CB got the win for that one. Then he started the regularly scheduled game against Milwaukee that day and pitched eight innings as well. So he won two games in one day. Pretty amazing. Huh. Pretty amazing. Yeah. It, it, it is amazing. It, it, when, when you're talking about his success late, and it's been, it's been really, it's been a pleasure, frankly, to look at that part of his career because it's gotten forgotten a lot. But he was so good when he showed up, Tom, in 67 with the Mets. He was great right away. But then he was great with you, like you're talking about. I mean, that's a a five wins above replacement by that metric. But that 3.17 ERA with 238 innings, nobody's ever had a season as good as he had when he was 22, as well as a season as good as he had when he was 40. Nobody's ever been that good early and also that good late as a pitcher. So I, I, I wonder how he did it. I, I wonder how he did it, how he, how he found a way with what he had. And, and some of it had to have been the mechanics of what he did with that drop and drive. That, man. I was just going to say mechanics because his mechanics were perfect. You know, he was that drop and drive guy. And, you know, he had a short arm delivery. And I'm glad that Lucas Giolito is now adapting that because that long arm delivery leads to arm problems. Sieber never did. I don't ever remember him or Jerry Kuzman ever being on the disabled list from the time they were 20 to the time they were 45. And it was amazing. But I think mechanically they were far superior to, uh, to uh, everybody else. And I think a lot of people adopted that style. Of course, Nolan Ryan was uh, uh, pretty much did the same as Sieber too. And that I think led to the, his longevity as well. Tommy, when you uh, when you look at uh, him, you, you talk about the fun you have, and and that's what that's what's great about uh, shows like ours that we can get people on to talk about the other side of just the numbers that you look at, and people who didn't have the the uh, great honor of watching Tom Seaver pitch in baseball and finding out about the the man himself. And I remember I remember interviewing him uh, once, and. Uh, you know, a bunch of times, and and he didn't love doing interviews. He was not a big, even though he was great, uh, you know, when he was interviewed, he didn't like it very much. And I right. said to him, you had you had Carlton Fisk, who was one of the greatest catchers of all time, and certainly we know that. You had Johnny Bench. They both yeah. caught you. Which one, who was your favorite <laughs> catcher? And he goes, oh, that's easy, Jerry Grody. And, Brody, and, I was going to say that. <laughs> 
and and I was I was just shocked. I'm, I'm saying, well, here's here's the two great, not, not only two of the greatest, but probably uh, t- two of the top three or four greatest catchers of all time. And right. he pitched to both of them, and he says, Jerry Grody, his catcher with the Mets. So I mean that that is uh, so it was so interesting. And he went on to explain that Fisk and Bench were great, but that Grody um, just was so in sync with him from the time that he was a young pitcher with the Mets on that they didn't even really have to always exchange signals. Uh, they knew in advance exactly what they were going to throw to a to a pitcher. So he would just set up, and as you said, you know, he threw a complete game to to Mark Hill without signs. That's how right. in sync they were. So then I, I found that pretty interesting. One story I've got to tell you guys about the human element of Fisk and uh, and and Seaver together is back in the in '84 when we traveled. It was all uh, uh, commercial airlines, so we're in Logan Airport in Boston. And we were wearing these red sport coats that Tony LaRusso mandated we travel as a team. So anytime somebody asked us who we were, I would say we were the Lawrence Welk Band. And my <laughs> name was and I played the accordion. So we, we were fooling around one day. We had time to kill. And so... Uh, uh, so you're on a were, commercial flight all the time at this point, right? All, all the time. All the time in 84. We're in Logan in Boston's airport. And so... Uh, Seaver and Fisk wanted to play a joke on the, all the people that were in the terminal. So Daryl Boston, who was a young outfielder on the team, who is, of course, the beloved first base coach for the Sox to this day, has a striking resemblance to Stevie Wonder, especially when he puts sunglasses on. So we said, <laughs> okay, Fisk and Stevie, we walk Stevie Wonder through the, uh, through the airport and see if anybody uh, recognizes you guys. So anyway, we yell out, Stevie Wonder's in the airport, Stevie, Stevie. And people are coming flocking over to get Stevie Wonder's autograph, and not one person recognized Carlton Fisk and Tom Seaver at that airport. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the kind of guy Seaver was. Another time, uh, you know how when uh, Vance Law had a very small head, and Seaver had a gargantuan (laughs) head. And, you know, when you get on base, uh, Vance was on base, He's got like a six and a quarter head, and Seaver had an eight. So Vance is on base, and uh, in between innings, Seaver takes Vance's hat out of his glove, puts his hat in there, and they take it out to Vance at third base. So Vance puts his hat on, and the hat goes all the way down to his shoulders. (laughs) The umpires were laughing, and I mean, that's the kind of guy Seaver was, you know. Oh, it's just... uh, um, it was, uh, you know, to me last week was, was heartbreaking, you know, some, uh, th- that, uh, uh, that I think a lot of people didn't know, uh, Tom as, as, as well as I was privileged to, and I wish I had even known him better, but you know, when Seaver was an outstanding broadcaster, as you guys know, and he had a great relationship ironically with the Yankees and Phil Rizzuto. So anytime they came to town or I went to New York, I'd always hang out with CB and the Scooter because they were so much fun and told me all these great stories about Mets and Yankees and stuff. So I decided I was going to listen to do them do tape and open. So they were at Comiskey, and Scooter starts things off. He says, coming live from Comiskey Park in Chicago, it's New York Yankee baseball brought to you by New York Bell. When you have to make a call, use Ma Bell. And then he stops and says, now what do I say? 
And Seaver says, well, why don't you tell, tell everybody, you're Phil Rizzuto, he's Tom Seaver, and we'll talk about Yankee baseball. He says, you know, I've been doing this stuff for 40 years, and I still don't know what the hell I'm doing. Look, Schuler comes out and says, from Comiskey Park in Chicago, it's New York Yankee baseball. Seaver, what's wrong with the Yankees? So Seaver goes out and says, Great soliloquy. Sounds like Vince Gully for two minutes. I mean, tell you exactly what's going on with the Yankees. Every player, what he's doing, what he's doing right, what he's doing wrong, what's wrong with the pitching, and blah, blah, blah. He finishes up in about two minutes, and then Scooter finishes up. We'll be right back. And, and that's how it ended. That's how the open ended. Like, <laughs> not so good. Not so much. But they just laughed. I mean, uh, uh, it was just wonder to, wonderful to hang around, um, you know, people like that. You know, it was just a, it was an honor, really. And uh, and Seaver was just uh, one of, one of the really good guys in baseball. And I hope uh, people, you know, by my talking about him a little bit today, will understand not only uh, uh, what a great pitcher he was, but what a great teammate and uh, uh, what a, just a great guy to hang around with. I mean, he was just wonderful. What what do you remember, Tom, about about the 300th win at Yankee Stadium? I think he threw 146 pitches in a in a, in a complete game at the age of 40 in the midst of of that tremendous year. What do you remember about that? Well, you know, I was not with the team. I was traded to the Mets, ironically, halfway through the season, and I was um, uh, with the Mets when he did it. I did watch the game on TV and cheering for him the entire time, and uh, he dazzled them. A good Yankee team. And, uh, you know, picked up that 300th win. It was so nice to see him and, uh, and Pud celebrate at the end, you know, knowing that both of them were going to be uh, in, the, in the Hall of Fame as soon as they were eligible. But, uh, you know, I, I, I just felt so proud of him, you know, that he was able to do it, you know, coming from a, just an overwhelming pitcher, overwhelming power pitcher to a guy who could finesse you with a high 80s fastball and a breaking ball and a changeup. And, uh, you know, listening to him talk about pitching was like listening to a professor talk about nuclear physics, I think. He, he, was, he was so <laughs> cerebral at times, but he was so down-to-earth and fun-loving, too. When, uh, we know that you, uh, in, in Georgia, get some of the White Sox games from time to time. What are your, what are your perceptions of this uh, team? How much fun is this? Uh, does it remind you of any of the, the ball clubs that you played on or watched uh, in White Sox history at all? Well, that's a great question, Bruce. You know, I, um, I've really enjoyed a, a boilable time. You know, first of all, I'd like to say that Jason Benetti and Stoney are the two best announcers in baseball for 18. I mean, they're really good. They're very entertaining. And I know it's hard to broadcast during under those circumstances, but they're terrific to begin with. First of all, I think Ricky Renteria is perfect for this ball club. You know he's got a he's a demanding guy, but he's also in the in the player's corner. So he he encompasses a lot. He knows how hard it is to play the game, and I think he's perfect, especially with the um, a lot of the the Latin players that are on the team. He can communicate them a lot better because he is bilingual and uh, and he just does a dem- great job demonstrating that. But they've got really good talent. My goodness, that Robert guy he's going to be a superstar, hmm. and. Uh, you know, uh, I think there, it's it's a lot different than some of the you know the really good teams that I played on. We we had that uh, real dominant pitching, 
you know, like in 83, and of course when Seaver came in 84, we had Britt Burns and uh, Richard Dotson, Lamar Hoyt, Floyd Bannister, people like that, and of course Jerry Kuzman. I think um, uh, from that standpoint, I think the uh, the uh, we may have had a little bit of an edge if you wanted to compare teams or something like that. But, uh, from from that standpoint, uh, but the, the, I think the pitching is coming around. Giolito is going to be one of the great pitchers in baseball. He's really demonstrated that over the last year year and a half now. So and and there's a lot of great young arms. Uh, Cease, well, they throw the ball really hard. And, uh, you know, if the, if the and of course, it boils down to bullpen. And if you can get those last nine outs of a ball game, I think the Sox are going to score enough runs where they're, they're going to be competitive and, and probably good enough to advance way deep in the uh, playoffs, maybe possibly even the World Series this year. It's such a good lineup, uh, Tom, and it's such an interesting mix of of kinds of hitters. You've got, you know, some guys who are very, very aggressive and see very few pitches, and then you've got some veterans who see lots of pitches and 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 work counts. And what what's the importance of having a lineup of of guys who maybe do it different ways, but all communicate and kind of all can learn from each other a little bit. Well, I think it all starts with Tim Anderson. Boy, I'll tell you what, he's a, he's become a great leader on that team. You could see, and plus he's really having fun. Those are the guys I really like to watch. Uh, the ones that are just having the Lindors, the uh, Tatis Juniors of the world, the Tim Andersons, the way they play the game. just You could see that they really love being out there. And even if they're not you know, having the greatest game, they're still playing with passion and enthusiasm and having fun. So I think Timmy is really the catalyst of this team. Abreu has been fantastic. You know, you talk about clutch, and when you and uh, Eloy uh, is, has been uh, has had some great games too. And everybody has really contributed. It seems like there's a star a night. The catching uh, combination is really good. I mean, uh, McCann and uh, 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 Grandal, yeah. Grand- are just just tremendous and they they're great with the young pitchers and i think that their effect i I wish this would have been a 162 game season because i think their effect on the pitching staff would have been a lot better you know more so than having this uh 60 game stuff going on and uh you know the one thing i'd like to see the pitchers do is not treat everybody like they're babe ruth you know i remember the dodsons (laughs) and the hooks of the world and uh uh you should so strike one and not treat everybody like he was Babe Ruth. Uh, if if Sox pitchers would do that with a little bit more consistency, I think, yeah, and and cut down on the walks, uh, I think they would. They're, they're as good as anybody. Tommy, uh, we appreciate it so much. It's great hearing you. I know the fans of Chicago just love it when uh, Tom Pachorek is uh, in their ear or joining them on TV. I know it's not TV this year, but. Uh, all the best to you, uh, Matt, and I really appreciate your time today. Keep oh, enjoying you. your Chicago White Sox, and thanks for sharing uh, some of the uh, personal stories about Tom Seaver. That was all great. Well, uh, Bruce and Matt, thank you so much for the opportunity to do this. I, and, and my best to all the great fans of Chicago. I miss everyone, and uh, hopefully we'll have a pennant flying over uh over the ballpark this year, or World Series. Uh, I don't even know what the name of the ballpark is. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's guaranteed rate. Guaranteed, guaranteed rate. There we go. Sorry about that. I haven't won a moment. No, you're the goods. Thanks, thanks again. Thanks a million. Yeah. 
It's Tom Pachoric. Tom Pachoric, yeah. So it's uh, really, really fun to hear him talk about uh, those those teams and, and those times. Bruce, I saw a story that Jerry Kuzman told about about he and Seaver um, on the bench with the Mets and how they used to bet on stuff just to kind of pass the time. And one, and, and one of them said to the other, uh, all right, how many times could you saw a guy off? How many times could you make a guy break his bat in the same at bat? And they and they decided, all right, you get you get Ron Say, Seaver. How many times you can you see how many times you can break Ron Say's bat when they were playing the Dodgers? Three times in one at bat, Tom Seaver broke his bat intentionally just to yeah, try that's, and that's just to try amazing. and win a dinner against Jerry Coon. He, he was a fascinating guy, I man. You know, I, I got to cover him uh, at the end of his career with the White Sox, and uh, he he was not thrilled to be with the White Sox because he got drafted in a unique draft where the White Sox. Uh, had a uh, had a special pick, and they could pick anybody that was unprotected by all um, at that time, uh, you know, 28 baseball teams. And uh, the White Sox chose him. He did not want to play. Jerry Reinsdorf and um, mm. Eddie Einhorn had to talk to him at length to to tell him that because he was going to quit, he was going to retire. He did not want to leave uh, New York. He did not want to come to Chicago. But after he did. Uh, the experience was a great one for him, as Tommy Pachorik said, and as Ozzie Gein said, he made a ton of friends here. He pitched great for him, and he looked back on it as a, a really great experience in his career. Yeah, I, I know, I know, we got a break, but I, this one other stat—you're the only guy I can talk to about this on the score. Okay, Seaver is one of only seven pitchers to have more than one season of ten wins above replacement. Right. So seven yeah. guys have ever had two seasons as good as he had in 71 and 73. And here's the list. Steve Carlton, Roger mm-hmm. Clemens, Bob Gibson, Randy mm-hmm. Johnson, Sandy Koufax. And then this is the one that stopped me cold. Wilbur Wood. Wilbur yeah. Wood had two years and both with the White Sox there in the mid 70s. Those are those two Wilbur Wood years were as good by wins above replacement as any two seasons from Carlton Clemens, Gibson, Johnson, Koufax, or Seaver. I don't think of him in those terms because it wasn't that long, but my God, those two years for Wilbur Wood. Last guy to start a doubleheader, Wilbur Wood. It's a different kind of, different kind of animal from a, not one game in the doubleheader, both, (laughs) both in a doubleheader. Think about that for a minute. When you're talking about pitch count and attrition, on pitchers and Wilbur Wood starts both games of a doubleheader. Yeah, those we'll be years, back. Uh, yeah, go ahead. It's all right. Yeah, this is inside the clubhouse. That's Matt Spiegel. I'm Bruce Levine. If you love baseball and you love baseball talk, we're here for you every Saturday between nine and eleven. Matt on Sunday has hit and run every week from nine until twelve, and uh, he'll have a special guest tomorrow, won't you, Matt? Yeah, looking forward to talking to Vita Blue tomorrow about about Seaver, about pitching, about still being the last American leaguer, the American League switch hitter to win the MVP. Kind of a trick question, but a true question for Vita Blue. Um, yeah, 49 starts for Wilbur Wood in 72, 48 starts in 73. I guess that's how you get that war up is just pitch a whole damn lot. But let's get back current, Bruce. we got two first-place teams to talk about, some pitching staffs um, that are really going to have to try and patch things together in some different ways. We'll talk about that next right here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score.
Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Swing and a miss, strike three. Darvish strikes out O'Neal. O'Neal chased a pitch that broke off the outside corner. That's eight strikeouts for you, Darvish. Now the one-two to Goldschmidt. Swing and a miss, strike three. One of the best fastballs he's thrown tonight, and he's thrown a lot of good ones. That's out number two, and that is strikeout number nine. But is this as well as you have ever pitched? Yeah, for sure. Ask a question, get an answer in the post-game Zoom. You Darvish, is this the best you've ever pitched? Yeah, sure. Bruce, he went on to say... Uh, This is three times better than I have ever been, making a joke as if it's something you can measure. But uh, the man is feeling good. He is not he is not a concern for the pitching staff of the Chicago Cubs. It's 670 the score. It's inside the clubhouse. I'm Matt Spiegel and he is Bruce Levine. You know, uh, that's not a concern, but looking at the Cubs and in particular, this doubleheader might be a turning point for them uh, with this Cardinals series, this five game series. And uh, Going forward with a four and a half game lead on them and the Brewers today, uh, how do they match up with uh, Adbert Alzale going the first game and a bullpen game mm-hmm. in the second? That's something I've never really heard. And honestly, I don't remember the Cubs ever having a bullpen game. Uh, some of the bad starts in the past have turned into bullpen games, but a planned bullpen game. Uh, that is, uh, you know, that is tough, especially this this point in time and the, you know, the wear and tear that's been on that bullpen. I think the front office and Ross and uh, pitching coach Tommy Hotovy have done a good job of, of not wearing people out and getting them in and out and getting people in from South Bend when you need them, taking advantage of that 28 uh, man roster. But, uh, you know, uh, we're gonna we're gonna see some teams that are really gonna be looking around. Uh, for pitching here over the last three weeks, Matt, wondering who is going to step up. You're going to hear names and more names that you've never heard of pitching in important games the last 10 days or two weeks of the season. You know, I'm trying to remember. I feel like they had a couple of bullpen games, maybe even one in the in the playoffs that they considered that year when Trevor Cahill and Clayton Richard were rounding out the bullpen, but they were also converted starters and done something like that but uh but they were they named the starter for those you know mm-hmm. in the, you, before that uh, you you knew you're right you knew that a guy was only going to go three or four innings you know like a Cahill or, or somebody like that but this mm-hmm. one is all you know uh, let's see who's feeling good today you know yeah. and uh 
And and that is, you know, for a first place team that's accomplished, you know, a, a pretty good record here and done very well under some tough conditions. Um, you know, at this point in time against their arch rival, uh, no pun intended on that one either. Uh, mm-hmm. That this is a this is a huge uh, two game swing here. Yeah, it's well, it's a brutal moment with with Tyler Chatwood's strained forearm, and then Jose Quintana, who had come back and this second appearance especially looked pretty darn good, and you figured you were just gonna slot him right into that Chatwood spot, and he'd go as long as he could and work his way up, and it's a strained lat, strained lat muscle, and they don't. They don't really know when when he's going to come back, when or if yeah, he's well, going to come back the, at this point. The, the, I mean, here here's the problem. Matt. Both guys worked up to about 60 pitches, right? We're halfway through a season, right? Uh, we're in the we're in that the final part of the season. So this year, uh, you know, you have guy and the Cubs aren't alone. Uh, they have injured pitchers coming back, and they're doing rehab in games. Okay, mm-hmm. normally. You take your time with the IL in 162 games, and you go, "Hey, we got to get the guy back to throwing 90 pitches uh, out of spring training." Everybody throws 80 to 100 pitches uh, in their second of the last start before they start the season, and back off a little bit uh, just to get ready for and have an, an extra day. But this is, you know, this is something that's going on all over baseball, where you have injured pitchers, important starters coming back, and then thinking, "Oh, oh, we'll, we'll just." Either put them in the bullpen and get some of their uh, pitch count up that way, or they're going to start and only throw three innings. I mean, it, it's unheard of, and it, and it's really not working out well for a lot of teams, not just the Cubs. It's just uh, it's just part of the times that we're uh, dealing with here in 2020, and the the reality that there is not a lot of help down at these other sites for uh, for people to bring up. You're seeing names brought up this year that would never have. Uh, advance beyond double and triple A that are being important parts and integral parts of teams moving forward, trying to win a pennant. Well, let's talk about that from the Cubs perspective down at South Bend at the alternate site. They've got a lot of guys who are clearly relievers, whether it's lefties like Justin Steele and Rex brothers or righties that people might know about and have heard of. They've seen a little bit of Dylan Maples and Dakota Meckis and people like that. Pedro Strope. Pedro Strope now. Yes, but before we talk about Pedro, I thought this would be a moment where maybe we'd see Jarrell Cotton. I mean, obviously we'll see Colin Ray, but those were the two names that we kept hearing. Uh, Why not Jarrell Cotton? Are they not happy with him, or is he not? I thought Cotton was uh, DFA'd and then signed again. Uh, Let me check on that. I believe he was. Yes, but uh, but, but he was signed again, then outrighted again. But he's to, not on the he's not on the roster, so you he's have not to, on the forty. He's yeah. not on the forty. He's right. in South Bend, but right. he's not on the forty right. man. Right. right. So right I mean, and, and and you're right about one thing. You know, uh, it doesn't mean when you DFA a guy right now, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't think he can help you. It's just a numbers situation where you got to get through this next two or three games. You got to get through the next week, and the guy mm-hmm. can't help you at that point. So uh, that's why you see. You know, a couple of their players, a couple of their other pitchers that were uh, released and then re-signed again as non-roster guys, and they're at, they're hanging out at South Bend too. So that's what I'm talking about here. Is you know, you have these particular types of people, and you're you're just picking it out of a hat at this point. And that's that's not to deride or or say that they're not good pitchers, but they're not exactly you know these people at some of these sites. 
not exactly what you're you're looking at in a pennant race with three weeks left in the season. No, they did. They did it a couple weeks ago. They had Tyson Miller come up and throw two innings and ended up with sort of, you know, a bullpen game that day. But we'll see how this this yeah. goes today. But you are you mentioned Pedro Strope. Speaking of guys who've been designated for assignment, as he was by the Reds, apparently both teams interested. I saw White Sox fans yeah. saying, hey, we could use some bullpen help. So Strope got to decide between both Cubs and White Sox among anybody else who was out there looking for him, Bruce? Yeah, absolutely, Matt. And uh, he only threw one and two-thirds innings for the Reds, if you can imagine. Man. Um, So certainly that's not the essence of Pedro Strope. We saw a guy that lost his fastball and his uh, command because of the fact, uh, the breakdown of his legs. We saw three significant hamstring injuries take away the, the bottom part of this pitcher who was so it's so important to you know to be able to to drive the baseball and all he was pitching with was his arm and his guts and we knew he had a lot of both but he was he was not very good last year from all the injuries that he's incurred and uh, they're, they're hoping to you know they can get him back and that he's a rehab to the point where his legs are still functional and uh, that he can help but you know again uh you know Pedro Strope is just one of those other guys that you might get some magic from in the last week or 10 days of the season. We need um, we need to make sure that we give props to a guy who you saw last night if you're watching the Cubs game and you're watching it finish with all the conversation about Craig Kimbrell and the consternation understandably there, the the issues with other spots in the bullpen, the concerns about the four and five spot in the rotation that we're talking about. Jeremy Jeffress in 16 innings has a whip of 0.81 and an ERA of 1.13. Got the save last night um, and is just, he just knows how to pitch. Bruce is not a guy going out there and blowing you away. Occasionally he'll hit 94, maybe 93, but he just hits his spots low, outside, outside corner changes speeds, messes with eye angle, messes with timing, just knows what the hell he's doing. And, and and I've heard nothing but good things about him as a as a clubhouse guy and as a person. It's one of the things where this year we don't really get to know guys like this, like we have like we would have in a normal season with the normal access. But just so impressed with him and 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 you can't really overstate how important it's been to have him there while Kimbrell's been going through his journey that he continues to go through here. Yeah, and, and again, you give the front office a lot of credit for identifying this guy. Matt, I encourage people to look at 2018 when they go back and look at the numbers for Jeremy Jeffress and see that not only was he, it might have been more important than Josh Hader when he broke out in that season as one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball in that great bullpen that the Brewers had. It's just awesome. He was an all-star that year. He had injuries last year. Uh, the Brewers uh, decided to not sign him, and uh, and and this is uh, something that's keeping that bullpen going. And uh, I, I give David Ross and Tommy uh, how to be credit for the way they've handled them too, because they've used them in a number of different roles. Uh, David Ross, with the savvy that he has from having been a catcher and using it now as a manager, uh, pulling some things out of the Joe Madden, uh, you know. Uh, workbook, uh, n- knowing that uh, uh, sometimes the save has to come in the seventh inning with a couple men on base rather than wait for bringing in your best reliever in the ninth. 
and he's used Jeffress in that role as well. So, um, you know, hats off to them because he has been a savior for that bullpen. 670, the score is where you are. We're headed towards 11 o'clock when Saturday Suckage, Rosenblum, and Grody will be up after us. When we come back, let's talk about the guys who pitched the last two nights for the White Sox um, and what their chances might be, which one of those guys uh, might end up being uh, a postseason factor or both for the White Sox. Talk about the state of that bullpen as well. That's next on Inside the Clubhouse on 670, the score. That one strike three. He couldn't hold up. His arms went around. His brain said, no, Definitely. please don't. As long as I can get the, you know, get to the second half of the game, especially with the team in the lead, I'm, I mean, that's, uh, I would say that's a win for us. I mean, that's me doing my job. Stane Dunning uh, feeling good about the step forward last night. Uh, the worst of his three starts as a member of the Chicago White Sox. It's inside the clubhouse. I'm Matt Spiegel. He is Bruce Levine. Uh, four walks for Dane Dunning to go along with the four strikeouts. The other two starts, he only had mm-hmm. one walk with seven strikeouts. So the four walks is a concern because the thing that has been so impressive that Steve Stone has been raving about on and off the broadcast is the control, looking like a guy who just knows what he's doing with pinpoint control. Didn't have it last night, Bruce. Yeah, and that's the problem for every young pitcher. You know, we were going to discuss here Cease and Dunning and and how essential they are here with the Lopez uh, not really being ready yet, uh, you know, showing signs that uh, his 60 pitches, you know, he's just not ready to come back and command pitches at this point and might not be uh, a factor for them over the last three weeks of the season. So from all of that, uh, you know, Dunning fills in that role that you were hoping Lopez would uh, – would fill, and now you you have him and Cease, and two young pitchers in player development uh, still working on the foul ball as something that wears and tears on their pitch count and the walk. And and you know you look at you look at uh, Cease really starting to come around and uh, uh, trying to produce weaker contact rather than striking everybody out. That's just a part of being the maturation of a young pitcher and knowing how important it is to be out there for six innings now. I mean, it's not seven or eight anymore. Just give me, if you give me six, you're considered, you know, a top of the rotation pitcher that's that's doing his job. And, and Cease is moving toward that now. Uh, he's starting to, to pitch better. The last two out of three starts, he didn't give up a lot of walks. There was one in between uh, that he gave up six. But uh, normally now, uh, he's trying to pitch to contact, weak contact. And, uh, you know, with his stuff, you know, you, you see it and you go, wow, I mean, you've got a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, 98. He's still throwing that in the later innings when he's in there, Matt. Mm-hmm. And then you, you see the slider, which is pretty much unhittable when he's on. Uh, there's, there's plenty of magic there to, to think about when you think about Dylan Cease. Yeah, it's a, it's a matter of going after guys um, and, ex- and accepting some of that weak contact, just kind of knowing you're going to get it. And trusting that your stuff is good enough, which which seems to be a lesson that guys have to learn and relearn and relearn until it just really locks into place um, yeah. all throughout your entire career. You're you're right about that, Matt. And, and the the reason is is that when you're a young pitcher and you dominate uh, with uh, with lesser talent uh, all the way through the minor leagues, and people are swinging and missing more, and then you get to the more sophisticated major league level. Uh, where uh, even if they are striking out, your your working counts, uh, your deep in counts with 
with great hitters. They're making you work. They're following off pitches. It's a total different dynamic. And, and what you said is exactly right. Uh, you, you just have to learn how to pitch at the major league level, try to understand that striking everybody out like you did in the minor leagues, well, I'm just going to rear back and strike them out with 98, 99, doesn't happen at this level. You have to pitch to a guy and have a catcher that help you through that and and get the weak contact that you desire in order to stay in a game. It's essential. And uh, talking to him on that cease uh, on, on the Zoom the other day, he mm-hmm. talked about, you know, the three-pitch idea. You know, a lot of times pitching coaches plant this seed. We want to uh, get people out in three pitches. That's our goal. Don Cooper has espoused that many times over the years. And when you have a young pitcher and you try to sell that, it's like, no, you're not striking everybody out. We're getting guys out. We're getting back to the bench and we're letting the offense take over. So from all that, it's fun to watch because there there is great talent in both Dunning and uh, C's moving forward here. Let me ask you a question. If Carlos Rodon does come back and looks healthy and looks to be one of the better versions of himself, is there a chance that he leapfrogs both Cease and Dunning in terms of a depth chart potentially for playoff time? I don't know. You know, the the first answer to that is I don't know. He's at 60 pitches right now with three Mm -hmm. weeks left. Um, You know, injured a, a number of times. I just... You know, I have to go with the pitchers that are getting it done. I, I, I try to break him in because he he does have great stuff and he has great ability. But, you know, counting on injured pitchers coming back, that's a that's a hazardous thing to, to try to do. I, I go with the guys that are out there right now getting it done. But uh, that's just me they're talking about, Matt. Hey, this has been fun. We have people to thank, including Tom Pachorek for joining us. Uh, with Dave Wills, the voice of the Tampa Rays as well. Great job by Adam Zizinski, our great producer. Matt, it was fun. Have fun tomorrow on Hit and Run. I know you're going to have a great time with Vita Blue. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Also on the website, 670thescore.com, where I write both Cubs and White Sox. Have fun tomorrow. Thanks, Bruce. And uh, have a great day, everybody. Rosenblum and Grody are coming up next. Thank you, Adam Stadzinski. And nobody listened to uh, my, uh, my malaprop in segment one. Let's just pretend it never happened, okay? All right, good talk. Have a great day, everybody, on 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.